Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. Hold on to your pants, it's time for a special episode. Hello, Hello. and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for co-op news and playthroughs. And today we are playing through nothing. We're actually talking about Gen Con. What's up, Terrence? How's it going? It's not Friday. (laughs) It is not Friday. It is Tuesday when we what? are uh, we are not playing Marvel Champions, although we will probably talk a little bit about it, but not as much as you think we will. And I'm also here with Jerry. What's up, Jerry? Hey, all. It's also not Saturday. It is also not Saturday. Yes. This, so This is crazy. Yeah. No, I got two co-hosts on their unusual off days. So uh, yeah, things are off the rails already. So get ready for some wildness and some craziness. I will warn you, we're going to be talking about Gen Con today. So we're going to be talking about a lot of games, most of which will be cooperative, some of which will not be though. And when they're not cooperative, I'll try to talk about their solo mode if I've played them. And we didn't play everything together. So uh, we'll talk about some stuff we didn't play together as well. And just kind of cover it all. So if you don't like those like mashup shows where you hear everything, don't worry about it. We already got your download or your review. So you're more than welcome to leave now. <laughs> but if you're in here for the ride, uh, we look forward to talking to you about some new stuff and some stuff that's been around for a little bit. All right. So before we get started, I want to talk about a couple of games Let's we do played. Terrence, are you on like delay or, <laughs> or, or, am I on, uh, or am I on fast forward? What's going on? It's during the week. Maybe his brain's on delay. All right. I, I know it, it might just be delayed because it's real time for me. Oh, uh, well, then yeah, it's delayed. <laughs> a lot of games are just Marvel Champions is what it seems like, said Nick. Uh, yes, so we met Nick and that'll be part of our discussion today. But uh, I do want to talk about a couple games we played with Mike last Saturday. And uh, let's start with Skulls of Sedlik, which is a small 18-card button-shy game. Terrence, have you tried that one? I have not. So what this is, is this is a game where you literally just have 18 cards. They have skulls on it, and it does play solo. That's part of the reason we're talking about it, although we did not play it solo. You make six piles of cards. On your turn, you can literally choose one of the face-up skulls to add to, like, this pyramid. It's a three-by-two-by-one pyramid. You're starting in front of yourself, so you can take one of the cards and add it to your pyramid, Or you can flip over two cards, choosing one of them to add to your pyramid. So basically, you're taking a card every turn. It could be either a quote-unquote somewhat random card or one of the face-up cards. And you're trying to, like, put things near each other or only have one thing per row. So, Jerry, what are your quick thoughts on the Skulls of Sedlik? Well, for an 18-card game, like these button-shy games are, I liked it. I think it isn't great with three players, and I'm not sure... I can't remember which way I thought it would be better, with fewer players or more players. I think fewer, actually. Because at some point, it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of choice right. with the player count we had. But, I mean, for a game that's done in 10 minutes, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I enjoyed that one a lot, too, for what it was. And Mike said it was really good solo as well. So definitely look into that if you're looking for one of those. I mean, Button Shy had some popular stuff with, uh, what's the other one? Have you played the other one, the city building Sprawlopolis. One? Sprawlopolis. Have you played that one, Terrence? I think that's probably the game that put them on the map for me and probably most other people, right? Sprawlopolis and then Agropolis is their farming kind of standalone slash expansion. I actually think I like this better. Now, I didn't play it solo. Mike said the solo was interesting because you're making two different pyramids for yourself and just trying to get, I think there was a score range or matrix or whatever. So it seemed kind of interesting. I mean, I enjoyed it for what it is, right? It's 18 cards. Not a ton of like huge epic choices here. It's not quite as good as uh, Sprawlopolis, but it's pretty good. Yeah. 
But speaking of huge epic choices, we played Kites next. We saw it last year and we talked about it a little bit when we were at PAX, but it is basically a sand timer game where you have seven different sand timers in front of you, all with different colors and that uh, empty at different rates. And you're basically playing cards to tell you when to flip those sand timers. So you only have a hand size of three. When it comes to your turn, you play a card. If it has one color, you flip that sand timer over. If it has two colors, you have to flip both of them. And you're basically just trying to keep all the kites in the air at the same time, which, as you can probably guess, is sometimes hard to do. So, Jerry, I know you love real-time games. I know you love speed games. I know you love sand timers. Let us know what you think of this one. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not the target audience of a real-time game. I mean, I, I guess it was fine for what it is, but games where people are you know, reaching across the table and yelling at each other and trying to get people to do things, it, it's just not my jam. One thing I would note about the game is one of the sand timers, actually the most, probably the most important one, the white one, was all kinds of messed up component-wise. Like one of the ends of the sand timers was not glued in correctly and it was tilted. So flipping it over, it you know was draining sand at a, at a different rate and it was more difficult to make sure it was standing upright. And in a real-time game, that's, that's not great. So I don't know if that's going to be a common issue or it just happened to be the copy that we got. But yeah, this one's not my favorite, although I could see why people like it. It is certainly family-friendly and you can engage with kids on it very easily. Yeah, and there were other things that could make the game harder with as with a lot of these games there are like negative cards you can put in. I think it's called a wind gust or something where you have to announce it when you draw it into your hand and then the next time it comes around to your turn you have to play it and it basically says flip every single sand timer over. So there's some interesting fun stuff that you can do with that as well. Interesting at least. Well, yes. And so we ended up playing that with my kids. They really liked it. And uh, I, I like that one as well. So for me, it is a, uh, it, it's a huge win. But I do like games like Five Minute Dungeon and things like that. So, I mean, mileage may vary if depending on what your thoughts on these real-time games are. All right. So the last one is a kind of a dungeon crawler. It's called Stars of Akarios. And it's basically like... Kind of like X-Wing, but not really, because it's on a hex map. But you can do all these maneuvers, and you're maneuvering your spaceship around, shooting down other spaceships. But it is also like a dungeon crawl. You're leveling up. You level up your ship. You level up your pirate. Pirate? Pilot? Or pirate? Pirate. <laughs> Arr! Yes. <laughs> I, I really liked it, but Mike said that we played the most interesting part. Because the first couple of missions, you are in your spaceship, flying around doing dogfighting, shooting up little ships. You know, I, I can't remember. Was there boss ships at the end as well? Or were we just shooting There was like little... one elite ship. Yeah, and, you know, it had stuff happening. You wanted to get to certain places, and there were a little bit of terrain on the map. But it did feel, unlike a dungeon crawl where you have easy control over your character's movement, it did have a little of that space movement where, you know, you, you're going to tend to keep momentum. If you go in a direction, it had facing for firing. It had some interesting stuff. I liked it way more than I thought I would. But at the same time, we didn't get to the parts where Mike said there was not his favorite parts. So there were some story parts. There were some parts where you land on a, a planet and you're taking your pilot out and moving them around and doing things. He said the space combat was way better than all that other stuff. So I'm sure we will do a full review on it because we definitely all, after we were done, we were like, yeah, that was really fun. We want to keep playing that one. So we will definitely have more on Stars of Akarios. Terrence, you know anything about that one? 
Uh, I just know that Steve was a big fan of it, and then it got renamed after the Kickstarter. Yeah, it was called something else originally, but I, I guess they had some sort of trademark issue or something. It's been popular on the Discord, too. There's definitely been people posting pictures of them receiving it and playing it, so people seem to be having fun. They said there are some flawed experiences, but people seem to be liking it. Yeah, it borrows liberally from Gloomhaven. I think it has a lot of similarities. You even have that little modifier deck instead of uh, dice when you're attacking something when you determine what the final damage is going to be. So there, there's a lot of uh, Gloomhaven DNA in there, but it is sufficiently different, and it's definitely its own design. I wouldn't say it's like a, a copycat of Gloomhaven. It, it took some parts from it, but uh, I enjoyed the ship combat part. I mean, I expected Peter to like the ship combat part because he's a tactical movement battling aficionado, and I, I like that just fine, but it's not my absolute favorite. But I had a lot of fun with it. I thought it was uh, good. The cooperative elements were good. And it was fast, the actual, right? The missions and were... it, it was it was relatively fast. Yes, I didn't. I, I at no point did I get bored. Like I was always engaged in what was going on. We played what two missions? Two I missions think? of it. Yeah, I mean it was the first two missions, so who knows? I mean it could get yeah. longer and more drawn out, but it was definitely a good start. So definitely expect to hear more from us on that one because that was definitely one of my highlights. Even though it wasn't Gen Con exactly, we haven't gotten to that yet. But that was definitely one of my highlights of games that I played recently. Terrence, did you have anything pre-Gen Con that was new to you? or No, I, I don't think I had anything pre-Gen Con. I got Osworn, but I, it's still in shrink. I feel like opening a big game like Osworn three days before Gen Con is not the way to go. And now, did you get the miniatures, or did, so the four boxes? Yeah, I, I mean, this was back in, I feel like, 2019 or something when I backed it, when I was young and stupid and <laughs> uh, thought I had gel space. I think now I would probably get the Stanies one, but it's like four boxes, right? Like, and yes. all the miniature boxes are the same size as the base box. A little bit smaller, but then, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and then you have two mystery boxes, too, on top of that. I don't know. I, I've made your regrets for having FOMO, basically, on the all-in. Yeah. No, I would say I would have been probably happier with the standee version. Not that the miniatures aren't great. Not that it isn't awesome, but I mean, it takes up so much space and it's so big. And unlike other games, and we'll talk about this a little bit later. I mean, we're going to talk about gameplay in a little bit because we did end up playing it at Gen Con. The big thing for me is you don't get the standees. And in a lot of these games, when you get the miniature version, they still send you the standees. But the, the miniatures actually take up some of the space that the standees would have been in the main box. So you don't even have an option of playing with standees. And the benefit of standees is it's one box. Literally everything fits in one box if you have the standees. Whereas, one really, really heavy box. Oh, it's super duper heavy. That is for <laughs> darn sure. I, I'm pretty sure it's like 30 pounds. But it's not four giant boxes. One super heavy box, which that one box is super heavy anyway, still would have been better than one super heavy box and three super giant boxes. I think this, the standees must make the box weigh more, right? Like, I, I feel like putting packing all the things in one box has to weigh more than the like. Well, y- you'd think, but those miniatures, like when I was messing around with them, they are solid. Uh, they didn't hollow out the miniatures. So like that rat broodmother, I think it was, is a chonky beast pretty darn heavy so solid plastic might be probably equivalent weight to the standees although you but, only have a couple of minis in the box yeah so exactly not- that's what i was saying like you, you don't you only have very select amount of minis in the the base box so jamming all the cardboard into one box i imagine weighs a little bit more yeah all right. maybe all right well let's actually get to gen con then 
So Wednesday, let's talk about our travel day, which is Wednesday. Um, we did play some games that night, so we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, Terrence, you want to tell us about your experience getting into Gen Con? Oh, it was a disaster. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was, you know, doing connecting flight, and my first leg got delayed, and so that cut my connection from you know a comfortable hour to ten minutes to make the next flight. And I had no faith that I would be able to make it, and it was. Not the last flight out, but I think probably because of Gen Con, like there were no seats on any flight to Indianapolis on Wednesday, at least on United. So I spent a bunch of time with the customer service and it's very much your mileage may vary depending on the agent you're talking to. So the third agent I got actually was able to get me on an American flight, which was a direct flight out of Austin. So I ended up getting there like hours earlier. But when I got off the phone at like 930 something, the flight was at like 10 something. And so I had to repack my bags because uh, I have like status on United and stuff. So I was bringing, I was checking a bag in case I wanted to like buy stuff and then check on the way home. But I don't have any status on American. So I repacked all my bags into a smaller carry on and within like 10 minutes and then like basically was out the door and got to the airport. And of course, now you have a carry on with a bunch of like all these like cards for like the LCGs I had and Anytime you bring that through an x-ray thing, they there's like yeah, a 50-50 chance they think it's a bomb. Yep. Yep. And so I've had that happened to me. <laughs> so they literally unpacked, you know, they unpacked my carry-on of like all the every Marvel encounter card that I had of like those BCW boxes. And they literally opened every single one, looked through like a bunch of the cards for each one in case I was like hiding something, and did that for every single box. Uh so it was definitely not my favorite travel experience, but you know, I end up there, um, and I'm glad because I think the earliest flight would have got me in at like 1 p.m. on Thursday if I had to fly out the next day. Yeah, and we ended up driving up, and it was about eight and a half hours, pretty steady flight or uh, drive, not too bad, not too many <laughs> yeah. problems. So, any uh, any any car stories, Jerry? Was there fun stuff I was asleep for while I was driving? <laughs> no, no, just a few beeps from your car as you were you know veering left and right on on the road. Pretty uneventful. Yep. And so when we got there, it was time for lines. So Jerry was supposed to be sent his badge, but they never sent it to you. So we had to stand on not only the the COVID line, which, by the way, I, I'm super happy Gen Con did. I will say, with all the thousands of people I saw there, in the convention center itself and in the stadium, I only saw five people not wearing masks. Out of 50,000 plus people, that was pretty good. Now, once you got outside and we're in the food truck lines and stuff, people weren't wearing their masks outside. But, I mean, I was pretty proud of Gen Con for that. But the line itself was an unmitigated disaster. Well, I wouldn't say it was unmitigated. There, there were some good points about it, but it was not great. Yeah, so we get there and we're standing on this line to get our COVID badge. So they said you had to get your COVID badge before you could pick up your regular badge. And then when we got downstairs to get our regular badge later, they're like, oh, no, just kidding. You can come here first. The lines upstairs are crazy. We're like, yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> yeah, we know. <laughs> they, yeah, thanks for telling us after we waited in that line. But the, the big funniest thing that happened there was we're standing in line and all of a sudden this person's there with this, this is the end of the line sign. And they usually do that so people can find the end of the line and know where to go. But this lady was literally standing in the middle of the line, like, you know, like in front of us. And so people are going, what's going on? And they're telling people like, no, you can't be here. We're closing the line for a little bit. Like you have to come back in like thirty minutes, and then we'll we'll reopen the line, and which makes absolutely no sense, by the way. 
Well, I mean, zero sense. Yes, yes. So we're like, well, there's this huge line that's going around the corner, and if they're opening the line in 30 minutes, this line's still going to be here. So yes. we we just <laughs> didn't leave the line, and so the best part, we're standing in this line behind this person that has this sign that's like, this is the end of the line, yeah, the and, end of the line, right? and we've got a huge line of people behind us, and like people are coming around the corner, they're like, hey, why is that person holding the end of the line sign? Like clearly walking with the line, saying that it's the end of the line, and then the best part is they turn around and start walking back past us in this entire line, and they go. Welcome to the line. And we're like, yeah. as if we weren't standing in line literally the whole time. So that that was my favorite part. We'd heard other people say they left the line. So we called Terrence immediately and said, don't believe the end of the line yeah. sign. It's a, uh, it's a fake. So that said, I mean, beyond the poor communication and the random end of the line person moving around seemingly at, at a whim, the line did move pretty fast for the yes. number of people who are in it. Once you could see the actual booze where they were doing the uh, vaccination check, people were going through there very rapidly. So they were pretty efficient in actually getting the vaccination checks and the bands on, on the wrists and everything. It's just the line management part was chaotic. And I mean, there's 50,000 people, just as a reminder, like Gen Con released their numbers. It was over 50,000 people. And they'd never had to do this before. Every other time, they haven't had COVID check-in. Maybe they did it last year, but I'm sure the numbers weren't at all what they were this year. No, I think they were like half last year. They're, they scaled it down. Right. Did but this have- year, even if people got their tickets mailed to them, they still had to be in that COVID line. So right. it was literally, you know, everybody getting yeah, that in that line at some point. Yeah, so Terrence had it, did get his tickets mailed to him. And so what was your COVID line experience? It took about an hour. Even though it was moving, it, it's just so many people, right? So I think one of the, the like defeating things about the line was like you hug the wall on the left side, and then eventually you turn around, and then the left side is like the right line for you, and that that's when you know you're going the right direction, right uh, towards <laughs> the room and not away from it. But it was I, I think it was like five or six rooms in the convention center. Like you just walk through a hallway and you'd open up to another room, and you're just like, oh, it still is going, and like it just took a long time to get to that halfway point. Yeah, it was definitely circling around and around that upper floor for sure. I think they have them turn corners on purpose just so you have you have hope that when you turn that corner, that's the <laughs> end of it. And then you turn the corner and you're like, oh, no, but maybe it's that corner right ahead. Because that happens like 10 to 12 times. Yes. I mean, we definitely were going around and around in circles. So to be fair, all right, so we arrived at, I don't know, 738 o'clock at night. Uh, to be fair, uh, PBCQ says we arrived at 1130 a.m., and had no line for either vaccine, band, or the badge. So, yeah. Yeah, but we would have had to leave at 2 in the morning to, to do that, so that well, yes. wasn't happening. Yeah, when we had and we would have died somewhere in the middle of Ohio as Peter fell asleep. Yes, <laughs> yes, on an eight-and-a-half-hour <laughs> drive, yeah. No, I'm glad I got a good night of sleep the night before. Um, so that was probably, for me, the biggest negative was we had to wait on two-hour lines. But again, that being said, I mean, the lines were moving pretty fast the whole time. So we got through there and then uh, got to a little bit of gaming that night. And I know that was Terrence's favorite night of games, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, I got to meet Henry, so it was pretty good. <laughs> yes. Oh, I forgot. Henry played with us that night. So we played Hansa Teutonica because I mentioned it to Henry, who we mentioned in 
previous podcasts, and I'm sure he'll be listening to this one, so I'm sure he'll have comments for me, but he is the designer of Parks and Trails, uh, super duper nice guy, love Henry, and so we ended up playing Hansa Teutonica, because I mentioned it in front of me, he's like, oh, I love that game, I hadn't played it in years, and uh, I know Jerry hadn't played it in years, and Terrence had never played it, and uh, let's get the negatives out of the way, Terrence, what'd you think? I learned a lot about privilege, and taxation. <laughs> that's, uh, I feel like that's the summary of that game for me. Uh, and I, I also learned you can beat people with only two actions if you commit. Oh, that was me that got beat, by the way. Yep. Jerry almost lapped the three of us, but... Uh, I wouldn't go that far. But Henry and Terrence were tied for second and one point ahead of me. They pipped me by one. I don't think you guys thought I was that close, though. I, it, I ended up pulling out a bunch of endgame scoring points at the end, but not quite enough to uh, to pull into second or third. You did okay for having no discernible strategy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, that's me, <laughs> Mr. No Discernible Strategy. I mean, I, I felt like Peter's strategy was to block everyone else from getting three actions. I mean, maybe. Yeah. Like, like you got three actions really early, Jerry. Like, Peter yeah, got, got decided not really to get three actions and decided to tax the road. And then you got three actions, and then he literally blocked Henry, and it remained that way for, like, three turns. <laughs> and I was just like, you're literally let, just letting Jerry get ahead because he has one more action than everyone else. Yeah, I didn't mind. Hey, I, I got okay the, I, so so what you're saying is I got the assist. So Jerry got the win, <laughs> I got the assist. Okay, every, that's fine. And everybody else was uh not doing it as well. So uh for those of you who don't know, Hansa Teutonica is the Euro Euroist of Euro games. It's definitely like getting cubes to place on the board. Although there is a lot of player interaction in this one. So there's a lot of blocking other people, as Terrence said, but you can knock other people out. So it, it, there is a cost to doing it, but you can certainly get wherever you want as long as you're willing to pay the tax for it so it can be a, a at least seemingly mean game the first couple times you play but from what i understand there's a solo mode for this one i have not played it yet but uh it, it is a very interesting game and if they do the solo mode a fun interesting like basically block you at every corner i could see this one being fun even in solo that's a fun game i like it it is a very aggressive euro uh as you know most euros are not but that Hansa is but it is very dry and themeless so going back to PBCQ, they said they got there Tuesday, by the way. So oh, <laughs> that was well, okay. Tuesday at 1130 a.m. There was no line. Well, yes, I can imagine two days before the con started, there wouldn't be a line. I mean, there was an industry day on Wednesday. but uh, And Nick said uh, there was no line Friday evening when I got there. Well, yes. Oh, that's because so, you missed most of the con, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, there was literally just Saturday and Sunday at that point. O- yeah. Only half the con. Let's be fair, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sunday closes early. Yes. So well, he caught he caught part of Friday too, right? So, oh, okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I, I had, imagine if I went in when I landed on my earlier flight and uh, I didn't wait for you guys and then showed up late because of a work thing, I'd probably I bet there would have been less of a line Wednesday afternoon when I got in at like two or something. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. So then Jerry went to bed. By the way, so my con's a little bit weird, and actually I should bring this, should have brought this up earlier, but I'll bring it up now. My con's a little weird because this is the first time I've ever brought my son to a convention. My son's 14, so it's not like he's, you know, a little kid I'm dragging around. But my, my con is a little bit disjointed, so you'll notice I didn't get to play a lot of new games at this. Friday was my big new game day. 
But I'm going to be talking a lot about painting with my son and walking the hall with him and, and showing him the uh, football stadium and things like that. So we did a lot of that kind of stuff. So I do apologize. I don't have a lot, as many new things as I normally would. But also, you know, I got some family time, so I don't regret it at all. But I just wanted to point that out out front here a little bit, too. So my con experience is a little bit different because of that. So but uh, at this point, Jerry ended up going back to the room because it was probably around midnight or so. And I was after midnight. <laughs> and, and, and Terrence and I did what we do. We played Marvel Champions. And that's not a new game for you. Not, not a new game. Uh, everybody knows one of my favorite games of all time. What I'm going to do is say right here, every time I mention Marvel Champions, except maybe we'll talk a little bit about the new stuff here, but I'm going to say, go join our podcast this Friday. We're going to have a Marvel Champions recap, a Gen Con recap at the end, where we just talk about the Marvel Champions stuff we did. So stay tuned Friday for more Marvel Champions talk. You join mean our- the stream, not the it's podcast, a, right? Yeah, is that the stream or the podcast? Yes. Sorry. So it, uh, I'll probably cut this out for the podcast. Uh, but yes. <laughs> So if if you're listening to the podcast, go listen to any of our Marvel Champions live plays and you can hear more about uh, anything we think about Marvel Champions. But yes, if you specifically go to the heavy metal live stream, then you'll hear us talking about Gen Con at the end. So if you want to hear more about Marvel Champions, that's the best place. But I didn't want to turn this into a Marvel Champions podcast because it certainly could be as much champions as we played this weekend. (laughs) So that's Wednesday night. Any other experiences you guys had that, that I left out? Just food trucks, right? I don't even remember what I got Wednesday night for the from the food. You trucks. got you got tacos and not island noodles like everyone else. Yeah, the so taco, I, got, I the, got island noodles. The tacos was a bad idea. Uh, I'll just say it here up front. <laughs> like when you go to, when you go to the food truck line and there's food trucks that's empty and you're like, oh, I'll just go there so I can get the food quicker. Yeah, there's a reason those lines are empty usually. Yeah, it was it it wasn't terrible, but it, it was it was not great by any. The the, the empty cupcake truck was pretty good though, and yeah. Yeah, no, the 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 tr- cupcake truck was great. We did not get it Wednesday, but we certainly got it later in the week. I was just commenting because the line is usually empty for the cupcake truck too. Oh really? Oh yeah, no, that's great. The flying cupcake or whatever. Yeah, no, no, yeah. no. definitely check that place out if you can. All right, so Thursday. Remember how I said we weren't going to talk about Marvel Champions? Guess what? I lied. So we started off with a content creator only demo of the new Mutant Genesis set. So, Terrence, you were part of that. What did you think? That was really cool. I had no idea besides not not really knowing what to expect besides they were going to bust out the box. Caleb was there, the designer of the game, lead designer. And there was only two groups, right? It was our group of four with Dale, who's another Marvel Champions content creator. And I, I don't remember the other fellow's name. And then I think there was Board Game Quest was the other four-person group. So it was just the two groups. So it was actually pretty small. Compared to the like, I think like twenty play groups during the normal ticketed event throughout the week. And, and I think he was also getting interviewed by Polygon during our game session too. But yeah, I mean, it was pretty small and intimate, which was really cool. And I also did not know that we were privy to the precons of the two new heroes in that box that yep. the rest of the con would not get access to. Yeah, um, and it was weird because you said there was going to be precons at our normal session so i thought it was the exact same well, well that's what the fancy flight so that is what the fancy flight website said right uh but that is not what the uh gen con event said so apparently there was like a miscommunication between marketing and i guess like everyone else uh from as day and fancy <laughs> that flight. never happens in, in yeah. companies yeah it never happens left hand right hand <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so I think a lot of people were actually pretty upset. Uh, I remember Caleb was saying like later in the during Gen Con that people were generally upset that they didn't get to play the new heroes because it was literally advertised on the homepage. Well, um, right. And they paid for those tickets. But we got to play the Sabretooth scenario. And uh, unfortunately, Peter and I did not get to play uh, Shadow Cat or Colossus because we actually brought decks and the other two people did not. So kind of felt bad uh, making them play like little lead starter decks from the core set, which were the only other decks that Caleb had. Well, and here's the other thing that I realized or, or thought I was like, oh, we're going to be playing again in a couple of days. We'll just play those pre-cons then. <laughs> what I didn't realize is that no, no, we wouldn't. So we didn't know either that we weren't going to have the opportunity. Yeah, well, I, I, I think we found out like five minutes after because I think I made that comment and asked and Caleb said that this was a special thing for us and that it would not be available uh, during the ticketed event. But, it, you know, it's just like it's not like you can basically rip that out of someone else's hand mid game. Right. So. Yeah, so here's what I'll say about the new expansion. It's called Mutant Genesis. It is X-Men. The two heroes in it are going to be... Colossus and Shadowcat. I don't know much about Shadowcat at all, except for the fact that she's stealthy and she does... She can phase through things. things. Yeah, so she can phase through things. She does. And, And I think they did the mechanics very well in the phasing. The first villain in the box, close your ears, fast forward 15 seconds if you don't want to know, is Sabretooth. And uh, we actually ended up playing against him in both of our games. So we're kind of saving ourselves from having to discuss it again later. He does a lot of healing in there. I'm not going to spoil like the gimmick to the mission, but the bottom line is he does heal after every time he activates. So he does, especially in a four player game, he does a lot of healing. So you definitely need to kind of build up to a point where you can just blast them away. Which is very different from not only any other villain in the game, but any other, certainly a first villain in a campaign. So he seemed to play a little bit longer, at least in both of our games. We didn't even finish that first game. Uh, Well, we made the mistake of playing expert just out the get-go. I may have suggested that. Yeah, it just took longer. Yeah, and then Colossus's protection pre-con and then Shadowcat is an aggression pre-con. Yeah, so we had fun with that, but uh, for those of you looking forward to X-Men joining the Marvel Champions universe, guess what? It is your time. And I guess the only big other thing we noted was that the the standard cards that you get in every set, Strength, Genius, and Energy, have new art now. So it's all X-Men related art, so that's kind of cool. You're, I mean, you're getting the same cards that you had, but at least you finally got some with new art on it. So uh, it's all X-Men themed, so everything in the box is X-Men themed, which is kind of neat. Yeah, we, we learned from Caleb that uh, as much as it was they wanted to have cool new art for all this stuff, it was more so because of a licensing thing. Like, apparently you're not allowed to mix the stream, cross the streams. You can't have Avengers and X-Men in the same box and sell it uh, like that is actually a thing that would cost them the license if they did that. Yeah. Mary says, I think they should have done an X-Men core set for Marvel champions. Yeah. I mean, you've got most of what you need in there to play, except for of course the token, that's the big thing and the standard encounter set, which they probably should redo at some point anyway, not only so it is, you know, X-Men themed, but also so that you could have more than one, so when you go to a con or whatever else, you have more than one standard encounter set that you could bring with you. So that would have been cool if they had redone the standard and expert cards. I mean, that's, that and the tokens are really all you're missing. All right, Jerry, you've been quiet for a while. What were you doing while we were playing uh, 
And my son was with us for that, by the way, also. So I, I did not just leave him in the room the whole time. But I, <laughs> but I will say Thursday was a day that was a lot of media obligations. So he did end up video gaming quite a bit on Thursday. Well, I'll, I'll talk more about my time with him later. But at this point, he was still with us. And uh, Jerry, what were you doing? Uh, well, I started off Thursday morning walking the hall. So wanted to see if there was any... Because I hadn't really heard of any new things coming out at Gen Con that really, really interested me that much. But I decided to see, you know, maybe I'll discover something as I'm walking around. Uh, first thing I noticed was the line. So the maker of Planet Unknown is a small company called Adam's Apple Games. And they had a, a pretty small booth kind of tucked away. But the line coming from them was just absolutely ridiculous. They sold out of Planet Unknown, the deluxe Kickstarter edition, in, you know, pretty early on Thursday, uh, Thursday morning. And they didn't get any more in. So... Uh, congratulations to them for having such a success. But for those that don't know, Planet Unknown is a game where you have essentially a lazy Susan uh, filled with tiles of different shapes, kind of like a, a polyomino. Well, exactly like polyomino. And then you ha- each player has their own planet. Each turn, you select one of these Tetris-like pieces and place it on your board. And there's various rules surrounding that. But Peter and I played it on uh, Tabletop Simulator. And it was quite good. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. Now, it was a competitive game. I do believe there's a solo mode. Yep. So Simultaneous, even, right? It, so, is, yeah. it is simultaneous. So one player chooses which well they want to pull their polyomino from. And then just by virtue of having moved the Lazy Susan, you have to pull one from the one that's directly in front of you. And everybody does that and places it and adjusts their tracks and everything at the same time. Not to interrupt here, but that's one of the coolest things for me is it's not just placing polyominoes, but each polyomino represents like two different types of terrain. And those terrain types like level you up on this like tech track. And that for me was the coolest part of it. The thing that separated it from most other polyomino games, that and the fact that it plays up to six players simultaneously. So you're all playing at the same time. So Terrence and I actually played this game when we were at Con of Heroes as well at uh, Colin's house. And we had five players that day. So what are your thoughts on it? I thought it was cool. I mean, I don't really like competitive games, but I like the polynomial puzzle. And uh, I think you had a choice of two tiles right in front of you as well. So it's not like yep. you're forced to just yeah, take each just well the one. has two different tiles in it. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of neat too that like you can't completely, well, I guess you can kind of screw someone, but like you at least get a choice of two different tiles, which I thought was kind of nice about that. Do you know how many copies they had there? Like, I mean, it sounds like it was sold very, very fast. I, I don't. The line was stretching back like several aisles within Gen Con, like almost immediately after the hall opened. So I, I don't care for the to be in the crush of humanity for the opening of the doors. Uh, I did that my first Gen Con, I think, in 2016. and The bull I, run or uh, whatever it's called? Uh, yeah, the running of the bulls, I think they call it. But yeah. I am... Not interested in, in repeating that activity, especially with COVID going around. So I wandered into the dealer hall probably around ten fifteen or so, and the line was just ridiculous. And he said there was going to be an additional 100 copies that were still on a boat waiting to come in. The impression I got is that he had over 100 co- copies to start, and they were all gone. Like I said, congratulations to him. I think he wasn't expecting that. He, I think he was probably expecting to sell out, but probably not quite as quickly as he did, because there weren't too many other lines that were that long. And I will say that my son and I also stood up top when they opened the doors for Gen Con. And it is such a cool experience if you've never seen it before, just to see thousands, tens of thousands of people walking in 
to you know through the doors walking. as it opens. <laughs> they were all walking. Don't run, just walk. Uh, there, you know, and, and it's oh, just, they were power walking and pushing and. Well, yes, there, there's that. But I mean, it was such a, it's such a cool experience if you've never seen it before. So we did go up top and there's like hundreds of people up top too, just watching this man, massive humanity go in. And that's what we did. That was a really neat experience as well. So anything else you did before the, uh, the next game we played, Jer? Yeah. Then, um, I had a, a media appointment with, uh, CGE. They had a large room reserved on the second floor where they were doing, Ticketed demos, they had their own little store in there, and then they had an area set up for media demos. So I went up there, I had an appointment, and wanted to take a look at Starship Captains, which is a game they have coming up. Got a look at the Galaxy Trucker expansion that's coming out shortly, and then I took a look at another game uh, called Deal with the Devil. So going back to the Starship Captains game, it's very obviously an homage to Star Trek, where you have a ship, you have a crew... You proceed through the galaxy completing missions. You can upgrade your ship. You can upgrade your crew. The main mechanic is you will have crew members that will come out into the bridge. And once they've done their action on the bridge, you put them back in the queue. So it's almost like a modified rondelle kind of thing, only with actual figures that represent them. And so they, they kind of queue up. And as they pop out of that chute, you get to place them on your ship to, to take actions. Didn't seem to be a lot of direct well, I didn't see, I don't think there was any direct player combat, but you could like block people from getting to where they want to go, try to complete things before them, that sort of thing. So it was very much a Euro style game, but it, it looked kind of interesting. I I want to see more about it. Now it's listed as two to four players, but there was nothing that I saw in the brief demo and overview that I got that would seem to be incompatible with having a solo mode. Nice. So I don't know if they'll have one out of the box. But I'm sure people will come up with, if nothing else, people will come up with solo rules for it. I'm now sure I'm Mike sorry. will probably come up with a solo variant. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I missed that. Is it a competitive game normally, or is it cooperative? Yes, it is a competitive game. Yeah, two to okay. four players. It is not cooperative. Gotcha. So that was uh, Starship Captains. Uh, it's releasing at Essen this year and PAX Unplugged for those in the United States. Then I got a demo of the new Galaxy Trucker expansion. The expansion takes a lot of the things that come in the previous edition Galaxy Trucker. I think it was the big box expansion. Is that what it's called? Yep. But it, it has a series of those modules and it adds a couple of new ones as well. And the big thing is for the new version, it was like, I remember when we first saw Galaxy Trucker years and years ago, before Czech Games even had it, it was an $80 game. And this was like back when games were like $50 max. So, I mean, I mean, Fantasy Flight obviously had some exceptions, but like, and we were talking to Zev about it from, he was still with Z-Man at the, at the time. And he said, yeah, I don't know that people are going to pay $80 for this game. And I was like, yeah, I don't know either. So the big thing about the newest Galaxy Trucker is it's 30 bucks, right? I think it's 40. Or 40 now. Yeah. I mean, everything prices have gone up, but yeah, I mean, bottom line is like, it's way cheaper than it's ever been before. And if you've never played Galaxy Trucker, it is a super fun, chaotic game. I'm surprised that Jerry likes it, actually, because of the real-time nature, because of the chaos involved. But, uh, yeah, no, one of my one of my favorites, for sure. Yeah, I've always really enjoyed Galaxy Trucker. Now, the new version, I think the components are a bit scaled down, and they're not quite as high quality as they were for the first edition. But, but you're also getting it for, like, half the price, right? And, and everything's so. in there, right? I mean, it's not like they... They took out stuff. It's just... No, the they didn't, they didn't take out gameplay, no. Right. No. 
this expansion has a bunch of new ships, has a new alien type. It looked it look kind of interesting, and I think Mike had done a solo variant for Galaxy Trucker at some point uh, a while ago. I think we have a video on that if you want to look it up. But uh, yeah, that was, that was interesting Although, as well. Although, to, to be honest, Mike said it wasn't very good, his solo variant, <laughs> and he suggested you get the app. If you uh, if yes, you want to play app. Galaxy Trucker, the app's actually really good as well. The app is very good, yes. And that, even the app has sort of a little story going with it, too. Uh, and then the last one I took a look well, at. Well, hold on. From... But before we go any further, Terrence, have you played Galaxy Trucker? What are your thoughts? I have. It's been a long time. I also have the app. It's fine. I guess it's a good game. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, we gotta have a great gotta... review from Terrence. Great. We, we got to have a pooper in every party. Boo, Terrence. All right, never mind. I'm not asking you any more questions today. I'm fine with that. <laughs> before we go any further, also, uh, Planet Unknown, Nick was talking about in the chat that there is a version available on uh, it's it's a online play site so if you don't care about online play you can skip forward 15 seconds called sovranti and actually they asked us to do like a review and or, or not a review but like a demo of how to play it and and honestly i didn't do it because i didn't see much value in it at the time it was more expensive than bga and it still may be um, and they didn't have any unique games was really the, the big problem I had with it. So they were asking you to pay more for something that I, I thought was fine quality. I think there's digital voice implementation and stuff like that. That So so they were offering more features. They were trying to be more feature centric than the current stuff that's out there. But they, they really didn't have more games. But Planet Unknown, as far as I know, well, I'm looking at it right now. It's S-O-V-R-A-N-T-I, Sovranti.com. Uh, they do have Planet Unknown. So if you want to play it, you don't want to wait for it to come in. There is a way to play it online there. Uh, they also have stuff like Isle of Cats, Point Salad, Sushi Go Party, Forbidden Desert, for those of us who are co-op fans, even Nuclear War, Jerry. Our oh, really? old school games. Yeah, we, we played a lot. Jerry and I played lots oh, of Nuclear wow. War through college. Oh, wow. All right, I might have to join this. And, and the implementation is pretty good. I mean, it's only a couple bucks a month. It's not like it's hundreds of dollars here. Um, and they have other games as well. So, yeah, it might be worth looking into. Certainly, if you want to play some Planet Unknown, it's, I believe, the only place you can play it online. There's a TTS mod, but it was good, not great. So, yeah, maybe consider doing Sovranti because I feel like it's probably approved by the publisher, all that stuff as well. So if you want to, you know, support the publisher, support one of these new up and coming sites to compete with Board Game Arena or whatever else, that's that's a place to check it out. Yeah, I wonder if it's a response to uh, Asmodee buying Board Game Arena. Maybe. I mean, the the implementations are really good there. So I would say it's. Pro- I mean, it had to be in progress before Asmodee bought. It's not like a. a fly by their seat of their pants, just got implemented thing. You know, oh, Asmodee did this, let's let's come up with a competitor. No, you know, the quality is real good there. Yeah, I think it's been around for like four plus years now at this point. Oh, really? Oh, no, yeah. no, no. I mean, well, they certainly didn't promote it for that long. And I will tell you, there's literally four, eight, 12, 16, 17 games on there. So it's not, a, I mean, slow your roll, Terrence. So you roll 17 games. Let's not. Uh, uh, I don't think it has a ton of stuff behind it, but I think it's been in the works for a while. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it may have been uh, so free on there right now. You can play point salad. I like cats, by the way, solo as well. And dice minor. So yeah, I like cats is on BGA too. Isn't it? Yes, it is. It was on both. And that was part of the reason I was like, what am I going to 
promote on there, right? Like, you know, they were going to give us free codes to give out. I just didn't think there was a lot to it at the point at that time. But I will say Planet Unknown might be worth checking out because it was good. It wasn't I had any problem with the thing. I just didn't see the value, like why you do that instead of Board Game Arena when you're talking hundreds of game versus at the time it was like eight or 12 or whatever. Oh, it's an installed app too. It's not just a web interface like PGA. Yep. Okay. Anyway, all right. We spent a lot so. of time here, and it's only Thursday. <laughs> Let's keep going. All right. So the last game I got a demo for, uh, for from CGE was Deal with the Devil, and this one is an app supported. There's no way there's a solo or cooperative for this one, but basically each player takes on a different role. They're either a human, which means they have a full soul. Uh, they're a cultist, which means they have most of a soul. Or they're the devil, uh, who has a bunch of resources but doesn't have any soul. And there is a trading phase that's assisted by the app because the app knows which player who which player is which, but nobody else does. And it basically, players trade sets of goods or, or sets of resources or parts of their soul in order to get uh, a resource that they need. So, like I said, the devil has a bunch of resources but no soul, and it's trying to collect souls from the players. And uh, the players are trying to get the resources they need to build buildings in the town, which can increase their actions, give them more things that they can do. It seems very interesting. It's kind of difficult to really get a full grasp of it without playing it because, it, you know, there is the app and the trading phase. I will say, uh, like most of the CGE games, uh, it is very colorful. Like they, CGE has a very distinctive style uh, where things are very bright, colorful, lots of nice art that kind of pops out. Well... Nice is in the eye of the beholders, but I, I thought it was very pleasing to look at. And that's another one that's coming out in at Essen or PAX Unplugged. All right, so let's get to the big one. I, I think another one that people are looking forward to, which is Twilight Insurrection. Jerry and I played this no, one. At- no, it's not. It's Twilight Inscription. Oh, yeah, I put Insurrection, but no, you're right. It is Inscription. <laughs> insurrection? Yes. Well, you know what? I also put Mutant Insurrection above it instead of Mutant Genesis for Marvel Champions. So, yeah. No, no, no. I, I you really just, set on Insurrection. I, I really was. I was. And later, instead of Mutant Genesis, I put music, uh, Mutant Resurrection. So I, I was just all over the place <laughs> with my erections. Oh. Um, so who knows? Uh, but anyway, Mutant Inscription. I'm sorry. Twilight, not Mutant. Twilight Inscription. Now it's Mutant Inscription. Yes, yes. Twilight Inscription, (laughs) to be clear. Uh, So this is the new Twilight Imperium game that they turn into a roll and write. And so we get to play that. Uh, We did not play a full game, just to be clear, but it does play one to eight players. I know we had questions before. Is the eight player game just teams or whatever? No, it is not. Everybody's playing on their own. The way they work, it's kind of like Seven Wonders, where you're playing, you know, the, the wars and things like that that you have are against the players to your right and your left. So they definitely took that right from Seven Wonders. But basically, you are drawing a card, which is an event card. Everybody is kind of doing what it says on the event card. Then you roll some dice, and everybody has the same set of dice that they can write on one of their boards. So here's one of the differences for me between this roll and write and any other roll and write. You have four different boards, each of which does different stuff. And each time you flip a card, then you roll, you're choosing one board to act on for that 
turn. And so you're not passing that from one to the other. So that was the thing that I think was most unique about it. I mean, there is definitely some complication to it. You would expect that in a Twilight Imperium roll and write. It's definitely a heavier one, certainly the heaviest roll and write I've played. Jerry, before I get further, what are your impressions of this one? They really went all out in teaching the game. Uh, like they were well prepared. They had these really big blown up versions of each individual board that they would hold up and walk you through how to do it. And they had a pretty good tutorial that certainly taught you all the elements of play going on. Uh, the only problem I had with it is they were teaching you like the mechanics of playing, but they weren't teaching you the fun of playing. Yes. So it wasn't until like the end of the demo that things started to click and I could see where it could be fun to play, but it wasn't what I was doing wasn't particularly fun at the time because I wasn't really making the decisions that I think had the most fun associated. Well, and to be fair, our dice rolls were pretty like as dice rolls can be uninspired. Well, they were uninspired (laughs) because we literally rolled all the same symbol. And so Mm -hmm. like we didn't really have choices. You know what I mean? It was it was very much that we all basically did the same thing on the first at least the first sheet. Because, like, literally, there wasn't much of a choice because we had the same role and everything else. And and that would always be the case. But you don't always have to choose the same sheet. Through the tutorial, they made you choose the same sheet. but cl- and, and it was pretty obvious, like, if you were using the sheet, what moves were obvious. But, yeah, normally you wouldn't have to do that. You could choose any sheet even from the very beginning of the game. But... You know, the designer was teaching it to us. It was their first demo, obviously. They were obviously warming him up on, again, it was a media session. We played with uh, the Rolling Dice and Taking Names guys. Um, Marty Canal. Marty. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was definitely a learning game. Uh, Dale, again, the casual gamer. So if you haven't checked out his channel, check him out. Check out Rolling Dice and Taking Names as well. Um, Both great guys. We had a a, a ton of fun playing with them. But... We said at the beginning of the game, and we warned everybody, we have commitments after this. We're not going to be able to stay for the whole game. So we knew that going in. So we both wanted to play more. In fact, we thought about buying it. We just couldn't find it to buy before. Or again, it was one of those, you know, running the Yeah, I heard they only have like 30 copies a day. Yeah, I mean, there's no way you were going to get it there then. And so we, we didn't really have an opportunity to buy it. But we both wanted to play more. Although I'm still not sure, just like you said, whether it's good or not. Yeah, I pre-ordered it though. Yeah, oh, okay. What the heck? Well, well, there you go. <laughs> so we'll have it. <laughs> um, but I mean, so how much was it? Just out of curiosity. I think it retails for sixty-five. I think there's places you can find it on pre-order for like fifty-two ish. That's what I got it for. And, and I will say the biggest negative, at least component-wise, for me is because the boards were dark. They used these markers that were like chalk markers. Which basically the designer said, yeah, be careful. I got these on my clothes and it doesn't come out. So it's one of those things that I noticed by the end of the weekend that I had gotten it on my arm. And he's certainly right. Like I had showered every day and I still had marker there on my arm by the end of the convention. Yep, I, I it mean, was still there. <laughs> well, it's not there now. I mean, I got it away. but Well, that's because you shower with soap when you got home. Well, sure. There's that. There's that. <laughs> Nick said, I found it hard to get a feel for the races or the objectives, Would really Im- how they would really impact the game. Also, the price of 50 plus seems like a lot for a roll and write based game. I will say it felt like more than a roll and write, even though it wasn't. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a lot, right? It's a lot. I mean, if you c- and-, and people are like, oh, does it feel like Twilight Imperium? That that I think would be the other um, question. 
And I can absolutely for certain say no, not even a little bit. It feels like a roll and write set of the Twilight Imperium universe. It does not, at least to me, feel like Twilight Imperium. What are your thoughts? I think I I think the elements of Twilight Imperium that will come through are the different races and the race powers and stuff like that, which are things that they didn't even hand out until the you know, right before we had to leave, basically. Yeah. I think we got one turn with having our individual racial powers. Races. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where the most Twilight Imperium parts are going to come from. The rest of Twilight Imperium, like the ships and moving them around, the way combat is handled in this roll and write is not anywhere close to that. And if what you really like is the combat in Twilight Imperium, it, it it's not in this game. No, you're basically drawing Tetris pieces in a area and fighting the person to your left or right based on yeah, based how on many, how many pieces you have. Yeah, <laughs> not even pieces. Like for each piece, you whatever points it touch, you like you count that up, and it's like, oh, I have four Tetris pieces, t- or my Tetris pieces touch four points in this sector, so my combat strength is four. I compare that to the person on my left. I have another one on my right. I have you know six points on my right. Let's see how many wars I've won. If you win, you get a benefit, which is something usually you can spend on a different board. I mean, there is a lot of like, I do this on this board to do this on this board to do whatever. Uh, I get these resources to do whatever, you know, and if you lose, you lose a victory point at the end of the game. So, I don't know. And that's not not to say it was terrible. Uh, I didn't play enough to say it was terrible. It's not, it's not the same as nowhere close to the combat in Twilight Imperium. Yeah, no, the the combat for me was the weakest point by by a large margin. So, Terrence, did you get a chance to try this one while you were there or look at it? I did not. I didn't have a big interest in it. Not a big fan of rolling rights. And I also heard like a full game is like a two-hour game. That seems about right. Which just sounds long for rolling right for me. <laughs> yes. But- you are correct sir it does seem long to me as well i mean the demo we were there for an hour and a half and like i said we didn't even get a real good feel for it to be fair it was a learning game it was a teaching game they were teaching like four groups of four at a time so it wasn't the easiest way to go and i'm sure the demos got smoother and stronger as the weekend went on but well ours wasn't the first demo i saw them demoing before us but we were only there for like an hour though because we left a quarter of and we it didn't really get started until quarter of so i think we only saw like an hour of the gameplay but i didn't feel like we were halfway through no Did you? no not even <laughs> close now but the bottom line is i also felt like we we did five or six rounds of the game mm-hmm. about that and i feel like the last two rounds took about five minutes each and the first four rounds yeah took 15 to 20 minutes each. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, as we were learning the different boards, he was going through everything on the boards. And so, yeah, it's just a lot to take in at first. And he didn't even explain everything before we got started. So I think there's a big learning curve to it. And the, to, to be fair to them, they have a walkthrough, which is basically what we played in the rules. There's like a separate rule book that just walks you through the first four turns of the game. And that's basically yeah. what we did there. So I do think it won't be as hard to teach as you think, but I do think the teach is going to take a while. I, I will say kudos to Fantasy Flight slash Asmodee. They they were prepared to run that demo. They had the equipment. They had to set up. They had a guy with a you know mic'd up and everything, and it, it did do a very good job of teaching the mechanics of the game. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to talk about what I did next, real quick. So then. That was Twilight Inscription. 
Yes, Tyler inscript- Inscription, not... <laughs> I'm just going to try to make Peter keep saying a name. <laughs> not, name not, not Twilight Insurrection, not Twilight... Well, you said it was a rolling bite at one point, which I think you might have stumbled upon a new genre that we need to explore. Yes, well, you know, it, it is what it is. All right, so uh, <laughs> the media, or the obligation I had next was AEG. I, I'm going to talk about a couple things real quick, because I didn't get to see a whole lot there. They had a video, like, basically talking about a bunch of games. The big one that stood out to me is Dead Reckoning. In fact, it stood out so much, and John D. Clare was in the room with us. It was a bunch of media people, but uh, he was in the room with us, and I talked to him a little bit afterward about it. And Colin, I know, loves it as a solo game, so which is Dead Reckoning. And they have a new uh, thing on Kickstarter, so I literally backed it today. They have a new expansion. Expansion is 55 bucks though. I mean, the base game was 75 bucks with an expansion, and the expansion today is 55 Now, I will say they did say this expansion has over double the content of any of their other expansions. So, I mean, it is a big, hefty expansion, but I thought that was pricey. Now, it still didn't stop a million people from backing it on day one. Like, <laughs> it still did well. Yep. Um, have either of you played Dead Reckoning yet? Nope. I'm interested, though. That did. I'm not. It's a 4X game. Well, it's a pirate game. It's a it's a, like quote unquote open world, but it really seems very Euroy. I've seen a lot of videos of it. Um, my son's into pirates right now, and so I'm I'm super interested in trying it with him for sure. I mean, it's got the card crafting system where you're like, you know, you got the cards and sleeves, and then you put clear cards on top of them to change the attributes of the cards. So it's kind of like deck building, but you're really just building up the cards that you have. They give you more symbols, whatever else. It seems interesting. I don't know that it's like super duper piratey or whatever else, but I don't know. It seemed interesting to me. The videos, the plays I've seen of it look really good. And Colin says the solo is excellent. He actually didn't want to play it with us at four players or five players. It's just too long at higher player counts. He just doesn't want to play with you. Well, I mean, that could have been it too. Cause I was super interested in it. And he's like, Oh, we have four other people coming. Nope. We're not playing that. Nope. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I just ran the Kickstarter page. It says it's a four X washbuckling game. I mean, as much as it can be, but it's kind of a card crafting game. All right. So Dead Reckoning was the big thing they were pushing. Like I said, I got in on the Kickstarter. The game looks interesting to me, but I just got in on the base game. I did not go in on the $260 or whatever. I I did 75 bucks for the base game and one expansion. And, and I'm looking forward to trying it and seeing how my family likes it. So uh, the nice part is it's not real easy to get right now. And this is an easy way to get in on it. They also showed Wormholes, which is a pickup and deliver game that does have a solo mode. So I'm interested in that. Mike, I'm sure we'll do a video of it because I got a copy of it and I brought it home. So uh, I didn't do much except for talk to them about how it works. It seems interesting, seems quick, which a lot of these pickup and deliver games are not. So I- I'm looking forward to trying Wormholes. I think it looks like it's going to look better the higher player count you get. So I'm curious how it'll play as a solo game. And then the other one, which was also a John D. Clare game that they had, was Ready, Set, Bet, which plays up to eight players, maybe even nine. It might be eight betters, and then one person who kind of runs this horse race. Uh, so Ready, Set, Bet is a horse racing game where it's, uh, John D. Clare said he set out to make a zero-player horse race, which basically means you have no decisions. You're basically rolling dice. So there's one person that'll be rolling the dice, moving horses. It's real simple. You roll seven, the seven horse moves one. You roll seven again, the seven horse moves again. It's very much a craps feeling when you play it. The big gimmick, mechanic, whatever you want to say is 
based on the number you roll if you roll doubles. So if you roll five and then five again, the horse moves not only one space the second time, but it gets a bonus move equal to like a multiplier of whatever the odds of rolling that number are. So seven is still most likely to win, but it gives some benefits to the other horses to kind of move them ahead. It's a real-time betting game, whereas this one person's rolling the dice, and actually there is going to be an app for it. It's not available yet, but so that you don't have to have a dice roller person like there'll be dice rolling on a screen and you will you will just follow that that way but you're betting in the middle of this race so you have a two through five point betting chip and you basically throw it on different bets like there are three bets for any horse to win three bets for it to come in second three bets for it to come in third and so if you know anything about horse racing if you bet on the lower bets you still pay out if they do better so if you bet on them to come in third or show you still win money if they win or place which are first or second place um so there are all these betting spaces and they have different multipliers. So if you bet on them to win, it's like a three times multiplier. Again, depending on the odds of the horse winning, whatever else, there's there's lots of multipliers. But the bottom line is it's a pretty cool and it feels a lot like craps to me, which Jerry will know this. I love craps. So like it's one of my favorite ga- games in the world. It's a gambling game, but like. This felt a lot like craps to me, except in real time. So you get that thrill and each race is only like five minutes. Like, cause the person's literally rolling the dice as fast as they can, calling out numbers like seven, seven moves up one space. And like people are cheering for their horses. This was definitely the hit of the AG room was ready, set, bet. And I don't think a lot of people are talking about it at this point. But if you like that fast, frantic, like real time, you know, get your bets in there kind of game. Uh, and it does. So there are four rounds. You do four races and the complexity goes up similar to Galaxy Trucker, which we talked about earlier as the races go on. So you might get a special power after the first turn or you might get a different way of doing things. I, I don't know because we only played uh, one round of it, but you definitely get stuff as you go along. So each race, you get more and more stuff. So that was a lot more fun than I expected it to be. So if you like craps, if you like horse racing, if you like real-time craziness, that one might be fun. It, it it almost sounded to me like Scott Nicholson. He made that game that was like a real-time betting game where you're throwing cubes into cups to bid on certain things. It had that feel to me. You have these chips and you're literally throwing them on this betting board, trying to get your bets out before other people. I don't know. It was really fun. So based on the description, Terrence, I can only imagine you'd hate it. So I'm going to skip you for a second. <laughs> Jerry, Jerry, based on that description, what are your thoughts on, on that one? Sounds like it needs to be played with the real money. Oh, yes, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd certainly try it. I mean, your description seemed to center around the excitement of not making any decisions, just rolling a die and moving a horse. Well, um, yeah, I mean, that role. I mean, no, no. And, and again, there is an app for that role as well. So you don't have to have somebody doing that. The, the real fun is in the betting. I never did the dice rolling part. So basically just have an app, simulate a horse race and you throw money. Yeah, on, on bets, exactly right. As it goes along, like, and there's and it's not real money, so you don't even have the thrill of the you know winning cash or losing cash. You know what? Why do I bring two or, or having to... somebody bring you bring around free drinks while you're while you're doing it? Why do I bring two people on this podcast that are no fun at all? <laughs> like, honestly, what's wrong with you? 
So, Terry, I'm just that- making fun of the way you described it because I'm listening to you describe it. I'm progressively getting less interested. <laughs> All right. So, Terrence, we, we already had Debbie Downer one. Let's hear Debbie Downer two. Did any of that sound interesting to you? I think it'd be cool to. I, I feel like you would be very good at this, at being the announcer of this horse race. And I do think it is okay. important. So, for example, one of the powers I lied, we didn't play one race, we played two. So I, you had to pick between two special powers, and the one I got was anytime double ones were rolled or double sixes were rolled, snake eyes or boxcars, I got a dollar, right? So, like, you know, whenever, like, John D. Clare, who's a designer of the game, he's rolling the dice, he's like, oh, boxcars, and me and this other guy high five because we both had boxcars, right? So, like, you know, or, or we both had the same power. So, I, I don't know. Like, there, there's definitely this feel of camaraderie, but at the same time, like, if a horse takes a huge lead, everybody starts throwing their bets on there really quickly. I don't know. It, it just has this real-time frantic pace to it, but you're not really doing a whole lot as far as controlling the outcomes. I, I don't know how to describe it. It it was just fun. I believe you. And everybody that was there, by the way, of all the games they showed, there was another one too, and I can't remember the name of it, but it had the, one of the coolest components I'd ever seen. And um, I would pay attention to Will, the Hungry Gamer. I'm sure he'll be talking about it because he actually played in that one where you have this like cube box is the best way like I can explain it. And you like push the button and let it go. And it drops out nine cubes in a three by three pattern. And based on where those cubes are laying, you're adding like buildings to your city but you have to pick a color and then like, it's almost like a roll and write where you're picking color and you have to lay those buildings in that pattern on. So if you pick orange, wherever there's an orange building, you have to pick a spot anywhere on your board to put those like three or four orange buildings, however many come out. And then everybody else has to pick a different color. So uh, it seemed a little bit like a roll and write, but the, the mechanic for that was this like little cube box that you're pushing. It almost felt like a camel up, where you have that, you know, inverted pyramid where you push the button and one dice comes out and like that tells you how you move stuff. This was very similar to that, except with cubes. So look forward to that one. If you're interested, I mean, Will said he liked it. So, uh, and that one I believe has a solo mode as well. All right. So Terrence, while we were doing that, or while I was doing that, cause Jerry wasn't there, what were you doing? I went and got lunch. It's, uh, I recommend eating while you're at Gen Con. Uh, I actually did one of the things where one of the steakhouses at St. Elmo allows you to pre-order a lunch. Um, so I did that and just went and picked that up. So that made lunch much faster than doing the trucks. And it's like right in the mall. So it's like, what, like a two-minute walk from the convention center? Nice. Um, you can, like go in, pick your lunch up, and then leave. Worked pretty well. And then I went and tried The Librarians, which... Wasteland Sniper was telling me a bunch about that game before the con and said I need to try it out. So I went over there and demoed that with my coworker, Andre. So what, uh, were, your, what were your thoughts on that? It felt like a mix of Arkham Horror and like Lord of the Rings a bit or Marvel Champions. Um, and you love all of those games. Like, to, to be fair, I'm not actually joking. I know it's hard to tell sometimes, but like literally you love all those games. Some more than others, but yeah. I thought I, I enjoyed it. Um, I mean, we didn't pl- like, even though there was no one else in the booth besides the two of us and the people working in the booth, they only let us play like one turn, which was really awkward. Like basically we did one turn. They like stopped the game and I was just like, 
you're really not going to let us play more, which was really surprising to me because it's not like anyone else is waiting to sit down and play. No, they just uh, didn't know what happens after the first round. Their, their yeah. demo people only got the first round training. So I did end up buying it um, because you, they had the Kickstarter version there so you could get uh, stuff that wasn't being sold at retail. Um, so I ended up picking it up and I've since read the rules and they did not even teach me the game properly, which was great. Uh, nice. So I bought the game off of like basically not the right rules, which was fun, but it's neat. They have, um, you know, it is like Arkham, but there aren't, there aren't locations. So it's like more like Lord of the Rings. We have the scenarios you're trying to progress through, um, but it does have like the agenda deck and the act deck where the kind of brotherhood who are the enemies in the TV show are trying to do something. And so they have their own thing. They're trying to progress independent of you. But I, I think some of the neat mechanics in there. So then you also have a bunch of skill checks that's like Arkham, but instead of doing like the chaos bag, they have dice. And so like, you know, you got, you have stats for the dice you're picking up. Right. And then anytime you, you like, you can only have four on either side. So anytime you're going above 40, you take away from the other side. Um, and then basically when you roll dice, like the successes uh, get subtracted from the failures. So if you have a zero at the end where everything gets subtracted, it's a failure. So you need at least like one success at the end uh, to kind of pass that test. And so that's kind of how you do all your checks. Unlike Arkham, you can generally do like more than one damage by just rolling well. So it's very plausible on like a high die count that you can do a ton of damage on the enemy. And uh, they didn't tell us this in the game rules when i was demoing but like uh you can donate cards called devotion to kind of turn dice so there is like some decent amount of dice mitigation to like turn a dice from a blank to a success which uh, is important obviously with all these yeah things. which is really important in dice game turns out yeah. it's like nice to kind of have that uh and then either player can do that right but you only do one card so if you are in a group of you know two people in a co-op game right like both of you can kind of do that and so when you only have up to four dice that's like a 50 percent swing right there Definitely so that, that was cool but i think one of my favorite parts was how the the resource management worked where you discard cards off the top of your deck face down and there's like an energy stack right and you use that to kind of pay for cards but at the end of the turn you get this i think neat choice of like you can either draw up to three cards or get like up to three energy or any mix of those and so kind of depending on what you have in your hand or like what you're trying to do you get to make that choice as a player because i think it's like very common on these card games to either not have enough cards or not have enough money to pay for stuff so you get a lot of i think uh flexibility at the end which is i think unique in this space yeah, that's cool. We definitely have plays on both the main channel and our streaming channel. So go check those out. Uh, I know Jerry, Mike, and I played that one as well. Not live or not on the streaming channel. No. And uh, do you remember much about it, Jerry? What are your kind of thoughts or remembrances? Uh, I don't remember the specifics of the game. I remember liking the game. I thought it was a solid game. And this is coming from someone who's not the world's biggest fan of Lord of the Rings card game or Arkham. I won't even Marvel, say the, you can say it. Uh, I won't even say I won't even say it. Um, <laughs> but I, I like the librarians. I thought the theme was pretty well done for what it is. And uh, the gameplay I, I, I found interesting. Now, you know, don't ask me the specifics because this was like, you know, well over a year ago, I think. Yeah, it was that we two played years it. ago, I think. Yeah, but um, I do remember liking it. Yeah, and I have the same recollection of it. I don't remember any specifics, but I remember thinking at the end, wow, I like that a lot. I want to play that one again. So that that was my big recollection. Jerry, you did RPGs during this time, right? 
Yeah, I did one RPG. So right after Twilight Inscription or Mutant Inscription or Mutant Inspiration, whatever whatever that game is called. Right. Uh, <laughs> I had an RPG scheduled for uh, Torg Eternity, which Torg, not to spend too much time on it, but if you like RPGs, Torg is an RPG that's a, basically a remake of a RPG from the 90s. And the concept is that Earth has been invaded by all these other realities. So different places in Earth, you might have like a, a section that's um, sort of like Land of the Lost primitive area. There's another area that's like typical fantasy tropes. There's another area that's like pulp action from like the 1930s. And the cool thing about, it, at least in my mind, the theme is wherever your characters happen to be adventuring at the time, you get bonuses to your actions if you do something that's in the vein of that style. So, for example, if you are in the pulp area and you do something like Indiana Jones might do it, like you, know, you use your bullwhip to swing across the, a gap, you'll get a bonus for doing doing that. But if you try to do something that's uh, anachronistic, like you know, you're in the land of the lost and you're trying to fire a machine gun or something like that, it, you get penalties um, for doing that. So that the basic concepts are really cool. I like that. The problem with the game is it's a, in my opinion anyway, it's entirely too complicated for for what it is. You know, if you think 5e is crunchy, this is taking it beyond for me. So, uh, yeah, that's what I did. Um, Torque Eternity, if you're interested in the theme, um, you can check it out. They have all the books, I think, on Drive-Thru RPG. But uh, just be aware that in play, at least for me, it was very complicated. So did anybody play anything b- beside that before our game of the night? No, I think I spent most of the rest of the day just wandering the hall the f- uh, for the first day because it's massive right like if you haven't been it's oh uh, yeah huge floor and definitely like an experience right absolutely so for me the highlight for the rest of the night because i hadn't eaten literally all day at that point uh i went and they have a place called hot box pizza outside and i got what's called a tater invader pizza which is basically a pizza with ranch dressing sour cream drizzle tater tots chives bacon, like just ridiculous stuff on top of a pizza. And it is so good. My son and I tore through and ate that whole thing. And so I ended up sleeping for like an hour or two after that, at that point, because uh, I was like in a total food coma. But yeah, uh, I came back from the, came back to the room and he was just lay, sprawled out dead with a, an open pizza box sitting on my, on my bed. Yes. Yes, it was so good, but yes, it, it was a lot. It was a lot of food all at once, and considering I hadn't eaten the rest of the day, it was uh, it was fun. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop, or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week for another Top 5 list. So we're going to end the podcast there. This was a three-hour recording. We will be back next week with the second part of our Gen Con recap. But if you can't wait, head over to One Stop Co-op Shop Streamed, and the entire three-hour recording is there in one spot. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. Next week, we'll be back. We'll be covering Oathsworn. We'll cover all of Saturday. And we will also talk about our final thoughts about Gen Con this year. We'll see you then. Bye.